Hello and welcome to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast with me, Sam. Today I'm joined by Adam and James as we discuss Norwich's 4-0 win over Huddersfield. Huddersfield were off the back of a tough set of fixtures in the league, losing to Plymouth and Leicester with a point away at Middlesbrough last week. They set up in a 4-2-3-1 with the same formation and the personnel from their previous game. Adam, can you initially take me through Norwich's eleven? Yep, so Norwich were unchanged. Um, and I think this is probably our best eleven that Wagner's kind of stumbled upon. Um, obviously, we started the season with, with Hernandez, but I think Fashionat is like a clear upgrade on him, as we've seen in, in, the, in these last two games. And uh, yeah, so it's a bit of a shame we have to change it with uh, Sergeant's injury by the looks of it going forward. But uh, yeah, more on that later. Just one other very like random note that uh, I want to leave in here at this point was about the pitch. I noticed that it was like very hard. The grass was quite long and it, and it really wasn't suited that much, I think, to our passing passing game at times. And, and Wagner did pick up on this as well in his post-match interview where he said that he felt like we played better once it rained, which was interesting, I thought. But yeah, it was, it was also very bouncy. I think it was very much a Neil Warnock pitch. It was made for his football rather than ours. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I quite like the way that the weather worked against Warnock in the end, that even though he didn't wet the pitch, it, it was uh, torrential rain anyway. So yeah, made Norwich's possession game a little bit more more slick. I mean, it was like a fairly interesting and eventful first 10 minutes. There was Sargent's goal in the 11th minute, but before that, uh, Huddersfield hit the post. Uh, James, I don't know if you wanted to talk through that instant a little bit. Yeah, so we were just caught a little bit high up the pitch, and I think it was Stacey's header goes out to, to Ruffles, the left back, was who was quite hot, and he lays it inside to Kroma. And Duffy sort of stays where he is and sort of throws up a block, and Kroma just bends it around him. And it's quite unlucky because it's a good strike, and Gunn was never going to get there if it was going in. So we're fortunate it came back off the post. Do you guys think that Duffy did the right thing in, in that situation? I, I was debating it because it, just, it felt like after Stacey had made the error, he then has this situation where he's obviously, you know, it's a two against one, but Duffy has gone, you know, just back into his position rather than trying to cover. For me, I don't think there was a lot that Norwich did wrong in that situation. I know we obviously lost possession and Huddersfield were able to create a shot from that, but it's such a low XG chance and a shot from outside of the box. And actually, I think someone's in that situation, a goalkeeper doesn't always want his centre-back to get too close to the ball just because it blocks his vision. So actually, even though, as you said, Adam, Duffy's a little bit reactive, I still think Gunn would fancy himself saving a shot from that range. But obviously the technique is really good um, and the bend on the ball is is really nice. So he is beaten. If it had gone in, there wouldn't be a lot that the Norwich defence and gun could have done about it. It does bring up an interesting point about defenders blocking shots. I think it's um, something I read about Liverpool is they try and instruct their defenders to try and block the shot across goal, try and block the far post, and then the keeper will then be able to see the shot coming towards the near post. And that's something they actually work on because obviously they trust Allison to be able to save anything that's sort of at him or at the near post. Yeah, but I mean, initially Norwich had had the first chance with Sargent's header on goal. I think that came almost within the first minute. It was a nice piece of movement from Sargent again, something that we've we've talked about previously. But um, he just moves in front of 
Helic, the centre back, to get the header on goal. It's a nice cross from Unulis as well. I think it looks like he's going to try and wrap the ball around the Huddersfield defence on his left foot, but actually he cuts it back slightly, which uh, which allows Sargent to get to the ball first. So yeah, after that point, it seemed like a fairly even game. But Norwich do take the lead through Sargent's press on the goalkeeper. Obviously, he closes the ball down and heads it in. I actually really like the Fasnack pass, um, which wasn't complete because Jonathan Hogg was able to intercept it. But Fasnack picked up the ball and played this really nice first-time pass. Uh, obviously, it didn't quite get into Sargent's path, but it made Hogg go backwards. I think it was partly down to how Nichols kicked it as well. So I think most goalkeepers in that situation, when they see the striker sort of charging at them, would just like kick through the ball. When I saw the replay, it seemed like Nichols was caught a bit in two minds and he ends up kind of trying to pass it with like his instep out like quite hard. So I think that allows Sargent to sort of get the block in that little moment of hesitation of how Nichols actually kicked it as well. It was actually very reminiscent to uh, a goal that Pookie scored last season against Sheffield United away. Struggles will look down to close the keeper and 99 times out of 100, the ball gets cleared. But that one that one time that they managed to do it and get that block then often leads them to an open goal or a, or a shot on goal. And yeah, it was really great from Sargent, but... It seemed a bit of a freak incident that led him to, to being injured, but this led to Adam Eder coming onto the pitch and, and filling in his position. It wasn't too long after that that uh, Norwich got the penalty. It was for thrown from Yanoulis uh, that was over the top. Rowe is fouled by, I think it's Matty Pearson taking out Rowe because he gets the ball first. Um, yeah, fairly clear-cut penalty. Uh, and well taken from Barnes. So this happened in actual sort of in-play ball time within a minute of our first goal. Huddersfield basically from kickoff just play sort of an aimless long, but we can't actually see it because on the on the coverage they're still focusing on Sergeant limping off. But um, it seems like Huddersfield have pretty much given the ball straight back to us, and then from there we've gone quite direct ourselves. So Duffy's looked for a, a long pass to row. And Rowe's done really well to sort of muscle the Huddersfield fullback off the ball and then win a throw in. And then from that, I think we win another quick throw. That throws then into the box and it's great movement from, from Rowe, obviously, to, to win the penalty. One of the things I noticed when watching it back was just how awful Huddersfield were in possession, actually. And I think that was like quite a telling sort of moment of the game. So we've just scored, but they've not really looked to do anything. They've literally just pumped an aimless long ball up, given the ball straight back to us. And then we've done something with it. Yeah, it's it's poor game management, really, because if a team is just scored, it's going to be on the up and full of confidence and you're just giving them the ball back straight away without even trying to keep it yourselves. Like he just launched it under no pressure and there wasn't anyone near getting on the end of it. It was something we did actually in the uh, the Southampton game earlier after they equalised to make it 3-3. We launched long ball forward, Southampton got the ball, went down the other end and had a shot I think was just wide. And that was something that at the time I was pretty critical of as a sort of poor bit of game management. So seeing it here is something that hopefully we've learned from and obviously Huddersfield will need to learn from going forward. I mean, under Neil Warnock, they probably won't, but that is... Warnock's kind of stylistic fit, really, in that he likes to play direct long balls into the opposition. And it's all about pushing the team up and trying to win that second ball. Um, so, yeah, probably wasn't a surprise that they tried to play that way. I guess we can talk a little bit now within the first 30 minutes about Norwich's possession plan, because obviously we're used to seeing either Sarah or McLean drop into the defence in between Gibson and Duffy. 
and then they look to progress the ball from there. But it was interesting what was going on within that midfield. Adam, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the, the shape in there. Yeah, so yeah, a couple of interesting things. Only really in the first sort of minute of the game on that sergeant chance that we touched on, did we see sort of the, the free V2 first phase with Sarah dropping in and then we it was like another 15, 20 minutes uh, before we saw it again. The other interesting thing was we quite often had five players in like the central area of the field. So um, we, we weren't playing as wide as we have been in previous games. Barnes and Sargent and then obviously when Sargent went off, Ida were dropping deeper and then you would see Fashna and Rowe go beyond them. So yeah, this is partly to do with how Huddersfield obviously sets up. Maybe we should mention the fact that uh, one of our coaches, Pelak, was you know, on the Huddersfield coaching staff last season. Um, and I think Warnock even made a reference to this <laughs> here pre-game where he said, oh, I'm sure uh, Chico's going to be telling the rest of the Norwich players and staff all about us in, in as much detail as possible. It was interesting that it was Sarah's quietest game so far this season. Uh, I think we can all agree with that. And I think this was partly to do with him being man-marked. Rodini followed him around. It was around this point of the game. It was just quite funny to watch off the ball where like Sarah was desperately trying to find some space and, and Rodini just wouldn't let him. So it's interesting you mentioned Pelak. When I was actually at the player forum at Cairo's last week, and the players were all very high in their praise of him and his work analysing the opposition. So he would do a lot of video analysis in opposition and show the players individually and as a group. He's obviously been a great addition to the coaching team and you can see his influence in how we set up to nullify how the opposition want to play against us. In the past, Warnock has set up with man-marking systems and done quite well against us. There's that game at Carrow Road in lockdown where... Buendia and Cantwell were just followed around for 90 minutes. Well, not, not Buendia, obviously, because he got sent off eventually. I think the way that sort of middle box of four with the two midfielders and the two strikers constantly moved around was really disruptive to their attempts to man-mark. I think we did well to create space by just constantly shifting their defensive structure around. And that's one of the best ways to break down a man-marking setup, either that or having players carry the ball into space which is something that Duffy did do a couple of times, but more of that from the centre-backs would have also been helpful. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how Norwich did really well to get around that man-marking system because it was pretty clear that even Sergeant and Barnes, and obviously when when uh, Ida came on, that they were being followed even into midfield by Hellick and Pearson, the two centre-backs. And obviously the way that you get around it is constant movement. If you're constantly moving as a midfield, which uh, that box midfield was, it's really difficult for the opposition to follow you all the time. And that did lead to moments within that first 30 minutes of Sarah being free or Barnes being free because the players who were supposed to be man-marking them would either lose them or get distracted by something else happening on the pitch. And again, I think it's a little bit to do with the fitness of the players as well because to constantly keep doing that over a period of a game is incredibly exhausting. And there were times that you would need a break. But if you've got those four players who have come into a central position, they're constantly revolving. They must be so difficult for an opposition to, to keep up with them. We used to box midfields, four players being in the central area, kind of keeping in the same position. But it looks so fluid and almost like chaotic in a way that they are all kind of interchanging and moving around. It was really interesting to see a discipline, but also a, a fluidity as well that, that made Norwich's possession plan work a little bit. And I think it's important to mention that we have the right profiles of strikers to 
do this as well. Certainly Barnes is one who uh, is real strength is playing with his back to goal. He's good at getting his body between the ball and defender. His touch is good. His technical ability generally is really underrated. And uh, Eder and Sargent are both physical specimens who can hold off defenders with their back to goal and have a somewhat simple passing game. But when they're supported by the midfielders running and wingers moving inside, for example, it does work. Yeah. The only other tactical note I have before half time, really, on, on our side of things was Janulis tried sort of a couple of runs, which we've seen from him successful <laughs> so far this season. But they didn't pay off here. He, he kind of just ran in field and just got closed off by the Huddersfield players. One of them was definitely down to sort of a bit of bad control from Janoulis. It was good to see that even if he did lose the ball, McLean was there dropping in and, and making sure that that space was covered. Yeah, in the second instant that you're referring to in terms of Janoulis trying to carry but losing the ball in the central area, I think it's even Barnes that comes back to um, get in the way of Jonathan Hogg, who's tackled Janoulis. Uh, which is obviously really good to see. And yeah, another good example of of stopping any sort of transitions. So obviously, even though Norwich uh, tunnel up, uh, they have a period from around the 40th minute where they have to defend quite a lot of crossings into the box. This was probably the period of the game where they were under the most amount of pressure. And it felt they brought it onto themselves a little bit. I don't know what if you guys have any comment on that. I don't know if we brought it onto ourselves as such. I feel like when you have a team that's just constantly swinging crosses into the box and are willing to commit numbers into the box as well, it can be quite hard to just properly clear your lines. So it just kept coming back. Our box defending was generally pretty good. We won most first contacts in there. There was that one chance where Ruffles um, had a header, which Gunn uh, managed to scramble across his line and save, but it didn't really have the necessary power to actually beat him or even trouble him that much. On that gun save, yeah, I do think, even though it looks quite good because it's almost like a one-handed palm, I think, as you as you kind of referenced, James, that he probably was expected to make that save just because the header's from roughly 14 yards out and not directly in the corner. So he does well to keep it out, but I think if he basically doesn't get to the, the ball and it goes in, then maybe he's kind of slightly disappointed. But a good example of Gunn's technical ability in terms of his quick feet, because I think he only takes like one or two strides to get across goal. There were a couple of periods during this spell where Huddersfield, I think they put about five crosses into the box in about in four minutes. And Duffy and Gibson do really well in terms of their penalty box defending at this point. The right side of Norwich's defence is so aerially dominant because uh, you've obviously got Jack Stacey, who makes one really good header in this period, and he makes another one, I think, in the second half. But it just shows you that if a cross goes into the into Norwich's box and it goes over to that side, then I think most of the time Norwich are going to be able to win it. But the slight worry I have is is on the other side because we obviously know that your new list defending crosses perhaps isn't his greatest strength. And Gibson as well, probably not as aerially dominant as Duffy. I don't think he wins as many aerial duels. So that's kind of a little bit of a concern. But luckily, most of Huddersfield's crosses... Uh, went that side. I was just going to say, I thought Gibson had a really solid game from a defensive point of view. I think he's been rightfully criticised when he makes those sort of technical errors that he sometimes does. So I think it's only fair that when he has a game where he doesn't really put a foot wrong, I think we have to give him some praise for that. Yeah, Gibson, potential man of match for me, actually had a quietly very, very decent game. And that's great to see. I mean, he has been a player... (laughs) 
where it's been said, you know, before he needs a run of games, before he, you start to see the best of him. And certainly he, it does feel like he's a player that's improved game on game so far this season. Maybe this is like a good point to just bring in and the fact that we did defend our box so well. And we did talk briefly about sort of blocking shots earlier in the pod. But yeah, we're actually equal with Plymouth, um, I saw, for most blocked shots so far this season. And uh, and yeah, ben, ben Gibson is right up there in the division in terms of putting his body on the line and blocking those shots. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting how many sort of players we've got really that are doing that this season. Fashionat's done it a few times, McLean, Sargent even getting back and, and doing it as well. I think when the fans are saying like, oh, this feels like a new team, you know, you can see the passion the players have got again for the club and... Uh, you know that they're all working hard you know things like blocking shots is such like a visually pleasing thing to see for most supporters again that they're thinking you know the players are really putting everything into this yeah that is kind of backed up with the stats as well yeah in this match day Norwich had the highest amount of clearances out of all the fixtures and also the third most amount of aerial duels won which I think kind of backs up what you're what you're saying Adam so yeah, it obviously didn't take long in the second half for Norris to extend their lead uh, through Rowe's fifth goal in five games. Uh, James, do you want to talk about that a little bit? So it's similar to last week, a lovely sort of back heel flick from Fasnacht, uh, Setsuwe Ida, who uh, has a nice first touch to sort of take it on the run without losing any speed and uh, accelerates down the line. We also spoke about last week about Rowe's movement in the box and how He's been getting into his good goal-scoring positions with great timing. And he gets to that front post and there's no one in front of him. So it's actually quite an easy ball for Adam Eadie to play. He weights it nicely and Rowe only has to just prod it in with his left foot. Yeah, what I really liked about this goal was not not just Eda's running with the ball, which I think is something he's quite good at when he's full of confidence, but the fact that he lifts his head up. And like actually sees, it's not just like a hopeful driven ball into the box, which I think a lot of players would play anyway in that position. He's actually lifted his head and picked Rowe out, who he can see sort of on rushing onto the ball. So yeah, that, that was fantastic to see. And um, as many others have commented, and he's one of the most obvious players I've ever seen for this, but Adamida really needs something like that to happen for him to see the best of him. Um, he is such a confidence player. And the difference once he had that, he suddenly became a lot more involved in the game thereafter. Yeah, you mentioned there about getting his head up and, and carrying the ball, uh, Adam, but I also wanted to bring up his first touch as well. Because he's on the run, it's actually quite difficult to take that ball under. Um, he changes his stride slightly, and because he's so well balanced, he's able to push the ball a yard in front of him, so he doesn't need to take then a second or a recovery touch. I think that was an example of um, something that he did quite well today. There's a there's another first touch that he makes in the 52nd minute. And it's so nice because the ball's slightly behind him. And I think he takes it almost on the heel. It's from an aerial ball at the pitch. And again, I think that's something that I've seen fans criticise Ida for over the course of his time at Norwich in the sense that his first touch isn't always that good. I actually even remember in the Hull game, his first touch of that game was particularly poor. I think Norwich almost lose the ball. So it's the sense of, obviously, you want to see him develop that a little bit. I think also there were elements in the first half where when he went to drop deep and pick up the ball from either Duffy or Gibson or Sarah or McQueen, whoever's in that free in possession, uh, he was demanding it and really want to be on the ball, which again is something that I don't think we've seen previously with him. So he's definitely improving in terms of that area of his game. 
now you mentioned that uh, demanding the ball in the first half, there was that um, really nice moment where he's, I think he was in the centre circle and the ball gets played into his feet and he turns and then spots Stacey out on the right wing and plays like a perfectly weighted pass over 30 odd yards, I think. Stacey gets onto it in the corner ahead of the defender. I think if he can develop his passing range as well, because a lot of the time he tends to play the way he's facing and play quite short, simple passes, which is all right as a striker if you have runners around you. But if he can develop his passing range in that sort of false nine role that we use, I think he could be a real asset. And actually talking up Ida, there was another nice nutmeg that he produces, I think, in the 60th minute. Basically, I think one of my slight criticisms of Norwich over the course of the game and something that we talked a little bit about in that 40-minute spell where they were under the cosh was that actually, instead of clearing the ball, they could have brought it under a little bit and have had those moments of composure when they win the ball in their own half. And actually, what he did really well here was, even though I think Norwich were protecting a cross or it was from some sort of defensive action, he managed to get the ball under control and, and yeah, not make Diara and win a foul. And, and just that took the pressure off the Norwich defence. It was maybe a little bit risky, but when you're in that sort of confidence that Ida showed over the course of the 90 minutes, those sort of moves or those sort of dribbles fall for you. And yeah, another example of how well he played on, on Saturday. But even though we, we went 3-0 up at, at, at around this point, um, we were still a bit susceptible. Um, I think it was Duffy that got caught in possession uh, James, do you want to talk about that incident a little bit? Yeah, so he just took a heavy touch. Uh, the Huddersfield forward just sort of nicks the ball off him and is running down in goal. And I think Gibson actually, oh, he's not known for his pace, so uh, he sort of backs off a little bit, but he does a good job of slowing him down. And then uh, Fasnak comes in from behind and makes the recovery tackle, uh, which, again, typified that work rate and also the uh, ability of the team to sort of cover each other. Obviously, you mentioned Barnes and McLean covering Yanoulis in the first half. But here it's Fastak coming from the right wing to uh, make a recovery tackle on the edge of the box there. And he had a really good game in general, actually. I think it was clear on the rewatch that uh, he's a really intelligent footballer. He also has the technical ability to play in those central areas, which is something that not all wingers can do because a lot of them are just used to seeing the pitch from a certain angle out on the touchline. But he's clearly someone who fits the system in that he can play out wide and can cross and link up with a fullback but he can also come inside and play in that sort of midfield area. Yeah, he has um, more flair, I think, than I was expecting as well. I can almost see him being a South American in some ways, <laughs> the way he, uh, <laughs> he little, little tricks and flicks here and there. A much more expressive player than I was sort of led to believe when you read like the scouting reports on him, for example, before he joined. So, uh, yeah, that was great to see. Um, I'm not sure we even mentioned his flick into Ida for, for that third goal as well. I mean, and that was the second time he's done that in consecutive matches to hockey assists in a row. And actually, the thing that I liked was in the 63rd minute, uh, Adam Ida then does a fashion act flick to fashion act, which is quite nice. I feel like, obviously... That means that Fashnak is having an influence on the team, and they're kind of trading, trading flicks to one another. Yeah, I do like Fashnak. He's not really built like a winger. He's sort of tall and not particularly explosive. And you think, uh, is he going to be able to affect games in the championship as a winger? His intelligence in possession and his sort of reading of space has really shown off so far. He's clearly someone that Wagner knows would fit the role that he wants and it's looking like he'll be an important player for us this season. So yeah, Norwich are fairly comfortable at this point. Uh, again, maybe there were slight issues I had with them playing out and, and going long. Um, I think there was 
a bit of a theme with Gunn, and this happened in the first half, in that he didn't always look for a clear and open pass into midfield. He would often hit a direct long ball up to Fashion Act or Row because they would lose the aerial duel. That would mean that Huddersfield would win back possession. Uh, this happened in the 65th minute where there was a clear short pass to Sarah. And after that, Huddersfield won the ball back and it led to a cross into the box. And after it went out of play, after that was cleared from Norwich, Ben Gibson gave Gunn like a real bollocking because I think Gibson could see the pass, but Gunn didn't. I'm not sure why that Gunn was so eager to go long. I don't know if that had been a direction that had been given to him from the coaching staff. But I think he just lacked a little bit of composure there. And yeah, hopefully something that we don't see become a bit more of a problem going into future games. There was also a really nice uh, moment where there was a counter-attack from a corner. And I don't know, if James, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think it might have been the corner where Sarah was trying to play like a low pass to Fasnacht on the edge of the area. The pass was slightly under hit and Fasnacht didn't quite arrive in time. And it looked like they were going to break with multiple players and uh, long balls played over to the far side with uh, a Huddersfield player running onto it. And Rowe makes a recovery run and takes a really nice touch out of the air to bring it down and then play a forward pass under pressure, which I think sort of typifies his confidence in his own ability. He knew that he could do that and knew that there wasn't really a risk of him giving the ball away there. I think more often than not, when you see a player disrupt a counter-attack like that, like Rowe did, you often see them just try and get anything on the ball just to get it away because they know that if he can clear it back up the pitch, then obviously that stops the counter completely. But yeah, for Rowe to take that control and then regain the ball for, for Norwich just shows you again like how composed he was and how well he's playing at the moment, the fact that he can has the technical ability to do that. Um, and also it, it mirrors as well a little bit what Fashnacht did, what we were talking about previously in terms of a wide player getting back to stop Huddersfield, creating any sort of attack. Yeah, so it's in the 76th minute that uh, Wagner makes a double sub and uh, Pachetta and Springit come on for Rowe and Fashnacht. Springit's come on for Rowe in pretty much every single league game so far. But I think that did help the energy levels. I think they were sagging a little bit, and uh, obviously due to the amount of running uh, that Norwich have done over the over the game, that that made a lot of sense. It was another good save from Gunn during this period. I think straight after that, uh, there was a little bit of hesitation. I think from Unulis and Gibson on the left side. I think it was uh, Huddersfield's largest xG chance. It was around like a zero point two, but I think it was also perhaps a sign that Unulis was getting quite uh, fatigued. We obviously saw him slightly out of position in the Southampton game which led to them getting a penalty. So yeah, there was a bit of fragility there, but obviously with Norwich being 3-0 up at this point, that's not um, that's not a huge issue. Moving into the 80th minute, that's the fourth goal, which I deservedly get. Uh, Adam, do you want to uh, discuss that and assess what the move was like building up to it? Yeah, so Prochetta's been given a chance off the bench, which is interesting to see, because I think before the start of the season, I think a lot of people might have been surprised to see him get significant minutes this season obviously played from the start at left back against QPR a couple of weeks ago and you know he missed the next match day squad I think due to a slight knock and then has come into the squad this game and found himself one of the first options off the bench he deserves great credit here actually on on the goal not just for assist but he drops back at the start of the move to receive the ball off Gibson Gibson plays it to Janulis. Janulis then tries to play it into McLean. Um, McLean's beaten to it by a Huddersfield player, but Plachetta's really sharp, manages to get the ball, and then, yeah, just ghosts past the Huddersfield fullback and then has a lot of space to run into, which obviously is is favourable for Plachetta. 
given his attributes, he plays a, a perfect ball really in for Ida to finish. So yeah, not just the assist, I thought Pochetta sort of deserves credit for sort of the whole move really. Yeah, that was definitely uh, probably his strongest moment. I think it is a slightly mixed game when he came on. I think we obviously know that he's fairly erratic and uh, it can look good in terms of carrying the ball and progressing the ball in some moments and then in other moments being really poor in possession. I think there were a couple of times where he lost the ball a little bit needlessly. So yeah, it still feels that he's a bit of a work in progress. For me, his touch is generally, I've never thought it's been good enough for this level of football. <laughs> like, even I remember even when he signed and I like watched videos of him and I was like, why have we signed this guy for or a Farker team in the championship? I remember being really surprised, but yeah, I'm prepared to give him a chance to see what Wagner uh, can do with him this season. Yeah, when you look at his skill set, I think the fact he was signed for a Fark team was quite bizarre because he's not someone who can play in the central area of the pitch at all. He's quite limited at the angles he can play at. He can only really play on the left wing because he's got a decent left foot and he's good driving to space with his absolutely insane athleticism. So you can sort of see Wagner's thinking in uh, trying him at left back, at least from a point of view of him hitting the space on that overlap because he can actually whip in a decent ball with that left foot and he can obviously get up and down the pitch. I think at the moment there's too much lacking that you'd be thinking about starting him in a championship game. But in certain situations, I think his limited skill set can be put to use. As you sort of referenced, I think this was a good time to bring him on because obviously Huddersfield are tiring. He's got so much pace, he can stretch the play. So it does make sense as a, as a substitution to make. But then we we saw a little bit later after the goal, you know, this comes off and Pachetta then drops into left back. And I think there's uh, an incident in the 91st minute where he's attracted to the ball rather than staying in position and Huddersfield get down the right side. So I don't know how much longer the Pachetta at left back experiment is going to keep going or what I think might happen is that with Borgia Sands coming back in in the next few weeks or or month or so, I don't know whether this means he gets less game time. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Wagner after the game was talking about sort of potential options to uh, replace Sargent from within the squad. And he actually referenced uh, Pochetta as one of the players who he'd consider putting in as a striker. And I was a bit confused because the way our strikers play is like the complete antithesis of what he's good at. Our strikers drop in, play their back to goal, have to play at lots of different angles. And he is only really suited to playing out wide on the left with the game in front of him. There are other players in the squad who could maybe fill in that central role. If you're looking at maybe Rowe and Fastnacht, who do look good when they move into central areas anyway. So maybe Pochetta could still see game time if we go down that avenue. But yeah, he's certainly someone who should only be used in sort of limited situations. Talking of sort of interesting options up front in Sargent's absence, I think at this point uh, we're recording this on Monday morning, it seems like Sargent's probably going to be out for for months rather than weeks. And yeah, it was interesting that Nunes came on for for Ida. So Ida actually uh, went off after coming on, probably due to fitness issues. Um, And yeah, I was was surprised to see Nunes take up uh, basically a centre-forward role, that he was even going beyond Barnes at times. So yeah, I think that's just interesting to know, given Sergeant's injury, but also the fact that we brought Adam Forshaw on a a free in the 24 hours leading up to this game. So you're starting to feel like Nunes' options in, in midfield are shortening. I would say that he's 
obviously sort of the direct replacement for Sarah rather than McLean where and Forshaw's coming in to, to be a direct replacement for McLean but at the same time it seems like he's more of a first option to play sort of you know either you know as a as a 10 really rather than uh, an 8 or a 6 it seems which I quite like to be honest so uh, it'd be interesting if he, if he gets a few more chances in, in those more forward roles. So overall, was there anything uh, tactically interesting or anything else that you, you want to mention um, in terms of this win for Norwich? So I thought that um, in terms of in-possession, we weren't maybe as effective as in the home games that we've dominated recently, at least in the first half. I thought there were some interesting things we did with the uh, strikers dropping deep that did give us an advantage. And we were clearly the better team and clearly in control for most of the game, barring those moments where we had to defend our own box. There are still some sloppy bits we have to cut out, particularly in the second half with those like distribution moments from Gunn and uh, a couple of errors which led to counter-attacks. But generally, we quite clearly deserve to win and win comfortably as we did. In terms of standout players, I want to mention Ben Gibson. I thought, um, watching the game back, I thought that he didn't really put a foot wrong. I don't remember having to note down any sort of big errors from him at all. Again, Barnes was really good in that role, dropping deep. His work rate was exceptional, and he played the full 90 as well. So he's clearly in really good shape. I think he's going to be a big player, an even bigger player going forward uh, with the loss of Josh Sargent. I think it's important to mention actually Gibson's uh, progressive passing. This was uh, a feature in the 2020-21 season. He, I think he was actually one of the best passing centre-backs in the league. And this was like a real return to that identity. There were a couple of really nice passes that broke the forward line and was able to create or start moves for Norwich. So even though he's defensively very solid, I think with the ball, he was extremely accurate and, and extremely smart with um, with what he did with it. Yeah, it's all about the options because when we have those strikers dropping deep and the wingers moving centrally, he has so many potential forward passes. And you compare that to last year where his numbers took a bit of a hit in terms of his progressive passing. And he maybe didn't have like very good options trying to pass. It's clear that um, the system allows him to show his quality on the ball. He's a really good passer from a technical point of view. Yeah, I agree with James there. I think I mentioned earlier in the pod, yeah, Gibson... Probably my man of the match overall. Just had a very good game. Jonathan Rowe as well, I think, deserves a, a special mention. Not, of course, for the fact that he's got five and five. But, you know, uh, just a lot of his play in this game was just very good. He would have been more talked about if he wasn't basically hacked out of the game <laughs> by Huddersfield. Because a lot of the more promising moments that he looked like he was about to create something or do something. Yeah, he was tactically taken out of it. Um, I mean, I think he's even joked, hasn't he, post-game on social media about the fact that he received so many fouls from the Huddersfield players in this one. Another interesting note for me was that I think we were 3-0 up before Huddersfield had a corner in this game. And against Warnock sides, obviously, you want to limit the amount of set pieces you give away. And Norwich did this really well in general. We didn't give them many free kicks and, yeah, all corners throughout, which helped in keeping a clean sheet, our first of the season. Yeah, very much um, agree with that. And I think the element that I'll take away from this game is the fluidity within that box midfield. I think I mentioned this previously, so won't go over it again. But 
it was just so interesting to see at times Barnes, Sergeant, or Eda, and uh, Sarah or McLean dropping so deep. So almost there was there was kind of three different options for Norwich within midfield. But yeah, I, I saw an interview with uh, Andrew Postecoglou, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur manager, and he talked a little bit about how they're very structured, but they don't want it to look that way. And he said about his players that as long as they interchange space and positions, then that's absolutely fine. So it, it might look a bit chaotic, but there's still a discipline within that. And I don't know whether it's because Spurs are currently kind of the toast of the Premier League in terms of the football they're playing at the moment. But that did remind me a lot of Norwich um, on Saturday against Huddersfield. The fact that it might have looked a bit chaotic in terms of them being man-marked and they were constantly running around and trying to find space in terms of their forward players. But actually, overall, there was like a framework within there. Because not many other teams play a man-marking system in midfield, I don't think we're going to see that all the time. Um, I definitely think in the previous three games there was a bit of more control in possession, but it was just a way for Norwich in this game to evade Huddersfield's off-the-ball structure. And in a way, I think they they won that that tactical battle. But yeah, another really, really strong performance and slightly different to what we've seen previously, but still very very dominant. Shows our adaptability again, which hopefully will continue now that we've got to cope with without Sargent. Great stuff. Is there anything else you guys want to add? Unless we want to mention just... Sort of four games in, Norwich, highest XG in the championship, best XG in terms of goal difference as well. And I think our sort of XG goals against is quite low in the table and not as good. But if you take the Southampton game out of the equation, it's uh, it's looking pretty good. So until everybody's played a team as strong as Southampton, then that'd be a much fairer reflection on that as well. But yeah, overall, I think it's been a very good start to the season. And it's good to see that it's not a fluke either. We look at numbers such as XG and other statistics as well to try and show basically, can we maintain this over a longer period of time or, or is it completely outperforming our stats? But yeah, at the moment, the stats are backing up what we're seeing with our own eyes. So yeah, that's great. Great. So Adam, James, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. Finally, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen to us on.